Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. I am recording this conversation with Ayelet Oz, who is the head of the Hotline for Refugees and Migrants in Israel. We'll learn more about that organization in a second. Uh, I'm recording this conversation with her on the evening of March 9th, Wednesday, March 9th, 2022 in Israel. Obviously, the war in Ukraine is raging. It has enormous implications for European peace. It has actually very serious implications for Israeli security in a variety of ways. Uh, but most immediately, perhaps, uh, the war is an utter humanitarian disaster, a heartbreaking catastrophe for all of us who look from afar and see, uh, of course, the dead and the wounded, but also the north, or north of some two million people who have now become refugees in Ukraine. And I reached out to Ayelet, who runs Israel's really most important organization for refugees and migrants without question, uh, and asked her if really at the drop of a hat, uh, if she would be willing to speak to us so we could learn a little bit about what's happening, who wants to come to Israel, what Israel's policies are, what does she think Israel's policies should be? Uh, and then finally, when we wrap up what will be a relatively brief conversation, we'll do a much longer one down the road, um, for those who would like to be involved and help Ukrainian refugees uh, through Israel, how they can do that through the hotline, uh, which is uniquely poised to lend that kind of support. So first of all, Ayelet, thank you so much. I know this is an insanely busy, stressful week for you and your colleagues. So thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us tonight. Yes, it's my pleasure. Lovely to be here. And um, so why don't we begin, just before we dive into the issue, and we're going to go right into it, just give us a very brief background about you and your work and what your professional history is. So um, the Hotline for Refugees and Migrants have been around for slightly over 20 years. Um, and we are dealing with migrant workers, with refugees, with asylum seekers, with victims of human trafficking in Israel. So we have been, you know, representing and advocating for refugees um, for over a decade now. Um, so we are representing um, African refugees, Eritrean refugees, Sudanese refugees, Belarusian refugees. So we really do have um, um, experience as well as um, ideas about Israel's uh, refugee policy for quite a while, even before this um, recent crisis. Um, I myself have joined um, the hotline three years ago. Um, so I'm relatively new. Um, in our group. Um, beforehand, for close to a decade, I've been a public defender in Israel's uh, public defender's office. Um, and beforehand, I graduated my doctorate from Harvard University in law. So I come as a lawyer, a human rights activist um, to this field. 
Okay, a PhD in law from Harvard. So in your next lifetime, your mother will be proud of you. <laughs> now, um, let's just talk. The numbers are changing, obviously, every day. So what we're talking about is, you know, correct as of this moment, which is evening time in Israel on March 9th. Tell us a little bit about from what you know, um, what's the number of refugees in Ukraine? What's the number of Jewish refugees in Ukraine? How many have come to Israel? How many do we think will want to come to Israel? What has happened to those who have already arrived at Israel's door at the airport? And we know that there are people mm -hmm. actually in the airport as we speak right now in Terminal 3. Um, and what does your organization believe Israel's policies should be? So it's a lot, <laughs> but just take us through the story so we can try to have as, you know, as clear a, a picture of what is a heartbreaking, but also very complicated story. Yeah, so um, I think I'll try to narrow it down as we speak. So there will be a lot of typologies and, and subcategories. So you will excuse me for that. Um, so all in all, um, a bit over 2 million people have fled Ukraine um, um, in the last two weeks. Um, roughly half of them, a bit over 1 million people are in Poland right now. Um, a few hundred thousand people are in the other uh, neighboring countries, uh, Moldova, Hungary, um, etc. And a few hundred uh, thousand people have gone uh, more to um, the west of Europe. So we do see the western um, countries of Europe really trying um, to promote what we call burden sharing. So they are inviting um, the refugees to come from Poland, from this like first line um countries um, further west, so they give out, um, you know, train tickets, uh, bus tickets, etc., for people to come over. Um, as for Israel, um, Israel in a, is in a somewhat duplicate um, role here, A, as the home of the Jewish people, and B, as a country who's part of the Western world and part of this um, global response to what's called a mass influx situation, um, according to refugee law. Um, so in terms of um, our commitment um, to the Jews fleeing from the Ukraine, um, I don't have the exact numbers of how many Jews have come. All of them, of course, um, can become Olim Chadashim, and they um, can become um, Israeli citizens. Um, there are a lot of numbers going around about how many new Olim will come. They go all the way from 20,000 to 150,000. A lot of assumptions out there. So it's really hard um, to see what kind of an Aliyah crisis we're facing. But I'm putting this to the side. Um, in terms of non-Jewish refugees, up until now, up until this evening, roughly 4,000 people have come to Israel. Um, the vast majority of them are either relatives that cannot become Olim Chadashim, um, grandparents, um, you know, um, sons and daughters from previous marriages, etc., um, or other relatives, um, neighbors, friends, etc., that were invited to Israel by Israeli citizens. A relative uh, small minority of them are refugees that basically have no connection to Israel. Um, and... I think an important um, fact to put in was yesterday's, as we speak, so it's, I guess, two days ago um, when you're hearing this, um, Minister Shaked's announcement about the quota to how many people can enter Israel. So um, 
Minister Shekhar had this uh, big press conference about 24 hours ago in which he would say, in, in which he said that the quota to um, allowing non-Jews and non-Olim Khadashim to Israel would be summed at 5,000, meaning it's it makes a lot of sense that by the time you're hearing it, we've reached that quota. And what happened in the last 24 hours were a lot of Israeli citizens rushing to try to get their relatives, their friends into this quota. And I must admit, like I put my um, refugee analysis aside as an Israeli to see this, to see the rush of people to um, uh, to help and to assist those who are close to them, who are in need, and not being able to do that is very heartbreaking. And I do think when we look at it, we need to look at it not only in terms of, you know, and I say my perspective as part of this global response, but also Israel has a lot of um, Ukrainian citizens who have a lot of friends and members back there. So, and then this is something we've seen, you know, in the political arena, in, in what you hear in the news. And I think this is something that Israel should take into, into consideration. So when Minister Shaked's caps it at 5,000, what she's basically doing is shutting Israel off from assisting anybody who's not Jewish. And I think when we're talking about, again, the biggest um, refugee crisis in Europe since World War II, this is something I find unacceptable. So let me ask you um, a policy ideal question. What if you're if you were Minister Shaked, right? If you were responsible for formulating Israel's policy, and let's just assume there were no internal politics, you could make the policy whatever you want it to be. What do you think Israel should be doing? I basically think um, it should be doing what it did up until a few days ago. Um, if I put down the bail issue, which was a major concern and kind of like differentiated um, the rich from the poor in terms of being able to, to assist. But the idea was to allow people to come in. And if they have someone to stay with, then that's great. And if not, you give them some kind of basic support. And I, I, I want to make it clear, like we're not talking, as I said, you know, Germany and, and Belgium assisting people to come to this side of, of the the continent. I'm not saying that Israel, you know, should like have planes take everybody from Poland to Israel. This is not on the table. But you can leave your door open if people come knocking. And the fact that not only are they shutting it off by quota, but actually up until two days ago, there was no visa requirement from Ukraine to the to Israel. It's a no visa um, policy. And now they've actually created um, the equivalent of a visa requirement in the midst of war. Um, which well, is, nobody can actually get a visa. Yeah, yeah and like you need to get um, a license from the website, but you cannot obtain it, as I said, because the quota is probably done by now. So they basically just like shut it off. And I think because they don't want us seeing um, all of these pictures from the airport, as we have seen, so they basically just will not let you board the plane so you don't get, um, you know, disturbing pictures on the evening news. Now, what I know you, I know that nobody here knows the answer to this, but obviously you're, you're among the country's most important experts on this. What's your guess? If Israel had a policy that said, um, we're not going to send planes and start ferrying people over, 
but we are going to leave our door open to those who come to our doorstep. It might say that, by the way, because we are a people that knows what it was like to be a people that nobody wanted. Yeah. Um, you know, the British used to speak about surplus Jews. They would say, we don't need any surplus Jews. Uh, and you and I would probably agree there are no surplus human beings. Human beings are human beings. Um, and so let's say, what do you think is the number of people who would arrive at Israel's door? I know you don't know, but just a guess, an educated guess. How many people would show up here if the door was simply open? I would, you know, I'll just count the numbers up until now. So we have, let's say, 4,000. It's been a week since the beginning of the war. Um, I would say maybe double, maybe triple this amount. And again, I remind you that most of these people have um, Israeli citizens caring for them. So we're not talking about huge numbers. As I said, Europe is open. Most refugees, you know, if they have no special connection to Israel, would rather go to Germany, would rather go to Belgium, um, who opened their arms for them. Like the this, I think, assumption, like if we open, we'll be flooded with, with refugees. There's actually no basis for that. Um, and the numbers don't point out to that risk. Um, I would say just like, I mean, again, I would say it's someone who's dealing with African refugees for a decade. Um, we see it a lot of the time. That's kind of like the fear, you know, of demographics, and of like what will happen um, to the Jewish nature of Israel is somehow so far away from the actual facts. So again, like if I would go back to Eritreans and Sudanese, we're talking roughly about less than 30,000 people. And, and you know, Israel's identity is not harmed by um, being um, human to 30,000 people um, and not by giving them shelter um, in the midst of war. Um, Right. I mean, I would actually put it more strongly. I, I have a hunch you agree, but um, Israel, it's not only that Israel's identity is not harmed. Israel's identity is actually strengthened because um, we want Israelis to be reminded of why we have this country. And the country was created in large measure because we knew what it was like not to be wanted anywhere. And uh, that sounds extreme, but it's actually not an exaggeration. And uh, if you go back to World War II, which you mentioned before, because this is the greatest humanitarian crisis on the European continent since the war, we have to remember that America's borders were closed and Canada's borders were closed and Palestine was closed by the British. There was literally nowhere to go. Yeah. And part of the historical consciousness of this country was, we know what it's like. We're not going to let it happen. Now, Ayala Chaket is a very, very bright woman. She's also uh, a, a lawyer. She's she's very smart. Um, and I, I, I have no reason to believe that she's not a good person also. I know her only very, very little, but I, I'm assuming that she's a perfectly decent human being. Is your sense that what motivates the policy that she's put in place a genuine worry about Israel's Jewish character if too many people come in? Or do you sense that there are other political issues going on here that are putting Israel in this to me, very um, unfortunate position of being one of the countries in the West that's actually closing the door. What do you think is really going on? So I do think it's genuine um, in the sense that Ayala Chaked has been anti-refugee policy and towards a very, very strict uh, immigration policy for as long as she's been a politician. So back when I was a public defender, I used to work at the Ministry of Justice when she was the Minister of Justice, and she said the same things. So at least in terms of she's believing um, what she's doing, I give her that. 
but you know, I thought she was wrong then, and I think she's wrong now. Um, so um, I think instead of hearing um, the public voices now that, and I think an overwhelming majority of Israeli people now actually do want um, to assist uh, the um, Ukrainian refugees. So, you know, in, in my kids' school, they're collecting food to send and how can we help? Like I get these requests all the, the time. And I think instead of hearing that and then maybe going back and correcting her previous policy towards refugees, she's just going and sticking to the same anti-refugee policy and kind of like, you see, sees herself as a hero standing up to the public pressure. I think this is actually the way she sees it. And I'm very sorry to okay. hear that. You know, I, I totally understand that. So let's talk briefly about the organization uh, that you represent, the Hotline for Refugees and Migrants. What are you What are you and your organization actually doing now um, for the refugees who are here and maybe perhaps for the refugees who would like to come? What are the areas of your involvement in this? So all in all, the hotline is composed of three departments. So one of them are the field workers. We assist roughly 2,000 people a year on an individual basis. Um, and the second department will be our legal department, and the third will be our public department, which this is a part of. Um, so in terms of the Ukrainians, because the policy has changed so rapidly in the last two weeks, we've been focusing most of our efforts on legal and public advocacy issues regarding the policy as a whole because we understand um, it affects so many people. So we kind of know, I mean, we are a small organization. If we try to assist people individually, we'll just be overwhelmed. So we really try to focus on the big picture. Um, but what I think we will start to see, you know, in, in a week or two, are the people who came here and, and managed to find a place. But, you know, the host says, okay, you can't stay here anymore. And they will come to us or people who, you know, will need um, a changes in status because they need medical insurance and all kind of that. So um, we are expecting um, many to come to us. I think one thing is, you know, kind of like the immediate stress goes. And at the same time, we are fighting the policy um, all of the time. Um, and, you know, all the other refugees in Israel have not gone anywhere. So, you know, all the thousands that come to us usually are also there. So, um, and sadly, the organization has not doubled in the last two weeks. Um, so it, it's hard. It's hard getting by. In your work to try to get the policy changed, do you have support among other members of Knesset? I mean, do you sense that there is a rising wave of people in the legislature who want to see Israel open its doors? Yes, definitely. Um, we've heard actually a lot of members of the coalition, even those who have not been very sympathetic to refugees before. Um, I think the maybe the um, most apparent example will be Minister Nachman Shai, who speaks very strictly um, with the criticism against Chaked and, and her policy. And we also hear um, from a lot of people, again, who were not very close to the subject before, but similar to what you said, kind of like see the historical um, similarities and say, we just, we cannot, you know, we cannot accept this dissonance. Uh, so yes, actually, like, I mean, just I think a few days ago um, at the front page, of the biggest newspaper in Israel, in Idiot Achronoit, 
there were 10 pictures of refugees from Ukraine saying, and, and like a big title saying, we refugees. So you see, you know, kind of like across the board, this overwhelming support, which also goes to the political sphere. I, I must say, and, you know, you'll have it recorded. So I hope um, <laughs> it, will, uh, it will not sound uh, ridiculous in a few days. I do think this pressure will, will cause Shaked to back down from the quota. Like, I really can't imagine a situation, you know, in a day or two, when you will have someone who's the 5,001 or 5,003 and will not be able to um, to get on the plane and, and the policy will stay. I just, I can't imagine that. And I do hope um, I will not turn out a fool in, in a week. No, I'm sure you're nothing foolish about you at all. Um, we're going to, I'm going to ask you in a minute how people who want to help uh, help in this work can do so because this, this is a moment where people really want to reach out from all over the world and help in multiple ways. Just before we get there, what can you tell us about what's actually going on right now at the airport? I mean, there are reports of people uh, in the Israeli press sleeping on mattresses, no showers, getting one meal a day, um, stuck there, unable to get out. I mean, how true is that? How bad is the situation at the airport? What do you know about that? So I know quite a bit from lawyers who are on the ground and, and keep updating us. Um, I would say the last 24 hours especially have been this huge mess because what happened was that you had the comment from Ayala Chaked about the quotas. So everybody are rushing in to get in line. So you have this huge mess. Um, at the same time, um, the people of the Ministry of the Interior, it seems there's this like really disorder of should they get bail? Should they not get bail? What's the proper policy? So people are actually kind of like um, begging them, please take my bail and put me in line. And they're like, no, I think the bail is out now. So in the last 24 hours, it's been a huge mess. And this is why there are so many people stuck. And also, I would say um, the airport has this relatively small um, detention facility, which works um, usually. It's not very big. And what happened is because there are so many people, they actually kind of like closed down a part of the um, of the airport and made it into this, I don't know, um, detention, the, the, detention facility. And this is how it looks. So people like don't have a shower, they don't have anything. They basically just closed part of the airport and made it yeah. into this field. Oh, it's very. Yeah. It's 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 the it's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah, it's it's not what it, it's not what we want for them. It's not what we want us to be. Uh, and I, I share your hope that we're going to see a change in the policy, especially since again, someone like you who knows the situation well does not believe we're talking in the numbers of people that would actually change the nature of the country. If it was, that would be a whole different issue, and that would be an entirely other conversation. Um, but given the, the numbers that you expect, I, I share your hope and prayer that um, we'll do the right thing. Uh, we're going to have a much longer conversation about the really critical work of the hotline for refugees and migrants down the road when we're not in crisis mode and you're not in crisis mode. But in the meantime, by way of wrapping up this brief conversation, um, tell us how people who want to support the work that you're doing um, can do so. So actually, we just started a week ago um, a campaign for all refugees in Israel, um, for all of our work, regardless of race, color, sex, whatever. Um, and if you donate now, you actually get um, just a, a small gift from us. 
uh, Haggadah for Passover we've created, which includes um, artwork and art and quotes by refugees in Israel. So you can really commemorate um, our own. And that they would do by... Uh... Yeah, and that, that, that way we'll do by going onto the onto the website, right? Yes. The hotline.org.il, and then there's a, a donate page. But we'll we'll include the link. Uh, we'll include a, a URL with the with the with the podcast when we send it out. So people who listen and hear about the work that you're doing, um, if they are so inclined, know how to reach you and how to enable your your organization to, to continue to do its work. Um, I yell at, I know it's it's a crazy night for you and you have many hours ahead of you still tonight trying to help these people um, for taking time out to tell us really an important dimension of how this war is impacting Israel and what Israel is and is not doing. Very, very, very grateful to you for your time. Wish you continued success in the work that you're doing. And I hope that the next time that you and I speak, which I hope will not be too long from now, uh, we'll say that you were right, that Israel did change its policy and uh, that we moved in the direction that much of the rest of the world was moving in, at least in Western Europe. So thank you very much once again for your time and for sharing your expertise and wishes of continued Hatzlacha uh, in all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much and thank you for the support. It's It means so much to us. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.